I am so honored to be here with you all this morning. Wow, what a great church. I mean, here I am at Christ Church Oakbrook. How cool is that? You are such a respected ministry. And I want you to know, not only do I deeply respect you, but I genuinely love you, even though I don't really know many of you. And there are two reasons for that. One is I love this guy. I love Dan Meyer, your senior pastor. I love his heart. I love his mind. I love his passion for Jesus Christ, his commitment to ministry. Dan and I have forged a friendship over the last couple years, dreaming together about what God might have us do as churches coming together in DuPage County. And um, I don't say this lightly. You've got pure gold here. Uh, He is a wonderful man, a wonderful friend. He talks about me mentoring him. That's a two-way street. He has really opened my eyes, and we have enjoyed some significant times together. There's a second reason, though, I love you, and I want you to know that is your church supports our daughter, our son-in-law, and our only granddaughter as your missionaries, Shannon and Luke Nearman, granddaughter Eliza are missionaries of this church. They are serving in Asia. They have been on the field just a year, so they're relatively new missionaries for all of you. Ron and I and a couple of our kids had the opportunity to go see them on the field late last summer. They're doing really well, although they are in a a closed and a repressive country. But because of your prayer support, your financial support, they are off to a great start. And we want to say, our family wants to say, thank you, and we love you. Now, as Dan mentioned, I I have had the privilege of being the chairman of the board of GEM, or Greater Europe Mission, for a number of years now. And I have been immersed as a result of that in, in the challenges of thinking about ministry in the context of a postmodern, post-Christian Europe. And all that is involved, or all that is involved in that, I should say. But I want you to know, uh, for me, this isn't an academic, it's not an armchair thing. Over the last two years, our church, Wheaton Bible Church, has sent out 10 full-time missionaries just in the last two years to three different European countries with GEM. They have gone out now as GEM missionaries uh, as a part of GEM's larger initiative to reach North African immigrants or Muslims who are flooding Europe. I will talk a little more about that. I want you to know these 10 people we've sent out over the last two years are some of our finest people. As a matter of fact, one of them, uh, Javier and his wife, Marcella, Javier is the former minister of finance for the country of Bolivia. And, And they have moved to Madrid. Fluent in English, fluent in Spanish. Maybe he's got a couple other languages as well. But Javier is now overseeing Greater Your Missions immigrant ministry in Madrid and, and beyond. Just a wonderful man, a wonderful opportunity. Now today, as Dan also mentioned, I have been asked to speak 
on uh, the subject of Europe, reaching Europe with the good news, this gospel that God has given us in and through his son, Jesus Christ. And what I want to do is I want to borrow from the imagery of a famous Old Testament passage in the book of Ezekiel. We will look at that passage in just a few minutes, but I want to set it up. And so I want to wrestle today with this question, can dry bones live? This question, can Europe be saved? Is there hope for Europe spiritually? And so what I want to do is I want to begin with the need Then we'll go to the text, we'll go to the passage. And then coming out of that, I want to talk about some of the opportunities, some of the things we are seeing. So let me start with the need or the dry bones relative to Europe. It was just two years ago, not quite two years ago, that Rhonda, my wife, and I were sitting in a missions conference in southern Poland. Southern Poland is beautiful. We were just uh, some miles down the road from Auschwitz. We had been there the day before. The speaker at this European missions conference was from Singapore. He was the Southeast Asia director for the IMB, the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptists the largest sending agency in the world. Steve Smith was his name, and Steve was telling us the story of a Chinese, this incredible story of a Chinese individual, Chinese man by the name of Ying Kai, who launched a church planting movement in China using rigorous principles of evangelism and discipleship. And as a result, over a 10-year period, just a 10-year period, not too long ago in China, 2 million Chinese came to Christ. And 160,000 churches were planted. Now, Steve has written all of this, recorded all of this in a book. The book is entitled T4T. That stands for training for trainers. We have had both Steve and Ying Kai, this Chinese gentleman, at our church in just the last couple of years wrestling with these concepts. Now, later that night, after Steve had spoken, some of us in the leadership team of Greater Europe Mission had had gathered together with Steve. And uh, I, I don't remember if it was over coffee or ice cream. You realize, of course, that the kingdom of God cannot advance unless there's coffee or ice cream. <laughs> so I can't remember exactly what it was, but it's probably both. And we were discussing with Steve, or actually wondering out loud about how is it that God is doing some incredible things right now around the world. I mean, church planting movements in Asia, thousands, tens of thousands of people coming to Christ. Seeing some similar things, not quite to the extent in Africa. The the dreams and visions that are taking place right now among Muslims in the Middle East and beyond. 
God is doing some incredible things. And we're wondering, how is it that God can be doing amazing things around the world? But when it comes to Europe, it's dry bones. Dry bones. So what I want to do is talk about a couple aspects, just two, really, of what it means to say Europe has, is dry bones. Well, let me start by saying this. Europe is now the least reached continent in the world. Least reached as a percent of population. Researchers tell us uh, that anywhere from 20 to 28 percent, some say more than that, of people in the United States, uh, Americans, claim to be evangelicals, Christ followers. In Africa, it's around 15% of the total population and growing rapidly. In Asia, it's 4% and also growing significantly. But when it comes to Europe, it's 1%. Maybe a little more. Europe has the highest percent of lost people and the lowest percentage of church growth in the world. And Europe, with its population of 740 million people, is the third largest continent in the world behind Asia and Africa. And Europe, as a continent, has 280 million more people than we do here in North America. Just a couple of years ago, 85% of the people, more actually, more than 85% of the people in the Czech Republic claimed to be atheists. In the last year, the Roman Catholic Church has decided to close 70% of its churches in Berlin. And if you happen to be an evangelical, and you want to homeschool, and you live in the country of Germany, you can't. Homeschooling is against the law. The German leadership does not want to develop parallel societies that teach children a different worldview. As Dan mentioned, my wife Rhonda is a physician. She and her first husband, Tom, Tom was a surgeon, were involved starting in 1989, the year the Iron Curtain fell, in um, facilitating the beginning of a medical clinic and an orphanage in Romania. They were there right after the Iron Curtain fell. Now, here we are, not quite 25 years down the road, And the EU, the European Union, has made international adoption almost impossible. And as a result, private evangelical orphanages in, say, formerly Eastern Europe are increasingly few and far between. It's now a state deal. Europeans, as we all know, are generally, comparatively, affluent, well-informed, well-educated, well-traveled. 
but spiritually cynical, disinterested, unbelieving. So Europe today, as as a continent, is dominated by a a functional atheism rooted in post-enlightenment secularism. Europe is the most lost continent in the world. Third largest, most lost. Dry bones. And I want to say to you this morning, we dare not, we dare not ignore it. There's a second aspect of the dry bones that I want to call to your attention. You've been reading about this, you're certainly aware of it, uh, but it's this. Europe is becoming increasingly Islamicized. Islamicized. Uh, People estimate now that there are between 50 to 70 million Muslims in Europe, 5 million alone in France, and not quite 2 million in Paris. As a matter of fact, what's happened in, in Paris is Muslim neighborhoods now form a ring around the city of Paris, creating an interesting metaphor. European megacities like Amsterdam, Brussels, Brussels is the capital of Europe, now the, uh, the, the capital of the EU, as well as some other cities and uh, countries like Sweden or France and England. Uh, these, con- these cities, Amsterdam, Brussels, and, and others now have a, a population of 25% or more of their cities that are Muslim. A quarter. Mohammed is now one of the most popular names in England and Holland. And when you add to this mix the declining birth rate among native or white Europeans and the higher birth rate among Muslims, there is a a demographic shift afoot that is significant. Last summer... Our family was in several countries in Europe. We were in Athens. And Athens has now become the immigrant gateway to Europe. It's estimated that there are one million refugees. Refugees are pre-immigrants in Athens alone. Athens is a city of four to five million people. And you can stand there down at the the docks and watch these people come off the boats. Actually, it's a a great place to send short-term missions teams. We've been doing some of that at our church. Now, many of these people, because they're refugees and they are just fresh on the continent of Europe, no place to live, no place to go, no access to health care. Really, no prospects of finding work or a job anytime soon. And they live in the parks and the alleys of Athens. And it's dry bones. And in the spiritual vacuum, 
that's been created by uh, European atheistic secularism, Islam increasingly appears poised to fill the void. Now this is both fascinating and troubling to native Europeans. But it's an incredible opportunity, I want to assert, that the church of Jesus Christ must not, must not overlook. So, two aspects to this dry bones spiritual climate of Europe. The secularism of native Europeans and the increasing role of Islam. On the continent. Now, what I want to do uh, with that is kind of the the need and and some of the background. I want to look at the opportunity, but I want to begin by going to this famous and familiar Old Testament passage. We do not want to leave God's word behind. As a matter of fact, when it comes to thinking about Europe, unless we look at it through the lens of God's word, we have very little hope. So if you have your Bible, turn with me in the Old Testament to the prophecy of Ezekiel. Ezekiel comes after Jeremiah and Lamentations. If you get to Daniel, you've gone too far. And uh, let me set this up by saying that when I think of Ezekiel, I have this picture of a, a guy who was a man's man, okay? Uh, this was a guy who would have loved Duck Dynasty. He would have tolerated Downton Abbey. Ezekiel was a 6th century B.C. Jewish Old Testament prophet, as well as a priest, who along with most of the southern kingdom, what was left of the southern kingdom, spent his entire adult life in captivity, in Babylonian captivity. Now, the first half of this Old Testament book that bears his name uh, is basically Ezekiel announcing the coming judgment of God on Judah, the southern kingdom. Then that judgment takes place. Uh, Judah, Jerusalem, the temple all destroyed, wiped out. Uh, Many of the Israelites sent into captivity. And Ezekiel spends the second half of the book following that, subsequent to that, uh, describing for God the future restoration of Israel by God. So there's two themes in the book of uh, Ezekiel. The first half is judgment, second half is restoration. And one of the spiritual takeaways for us as we read this marvelous book is that God is free to judge and God is free to be gracious. And both are equally true when it comes to our Heavenly Father. Now we're going to look at Ezekiel 37, which is, as I said, a a well-known passage. It's also a beautiful promise. But we have to understand when we come to Ezekiel 37 that Israel no longer exists as a nation, as a national entity. The Jews are without a homeland, without a government, without a temple. Uh, The Jews are without hope. So what's going on? Well, here in Ezekiel 37, God gives Ezekiel a vision so that God might give Israel hope. 
And this is complete, unconditional grace. Israel deserves nothing but judgment. And here God announces and promises restoration. So I'm going to begin reading Ezekiel 37 verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and sent me in the middle, set me rather in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel in humility responded, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, that is they're saying right now, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. That was the disposition of Israel at that moment in time, without land, without hope. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Now what's interesting is this vision illustrates what God had just promised the nation in the preceding chapter. So let's travel back a couple paragraphs and let's pick it up in chapter 36 and verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you and I will remove from your heart. I will remove from you your heart of stone and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. And it just continues one verse after another throughout this chapter, chapter 36. Promise upon promise, hope upon hope. Israel right now, hopeless, hapless. And God makes these promises. And then to drive it home, 
God gives Ezekiel this incredible vision, this miraculous vision of the miracle of dry bones coming to life. And so the promise we have in chapter 36, illustrated in chapter 37, is that God is going to restore Israel. God is going to make dry bones live. Now, this, of course, is both a national and a spiritual restoration that will only ultimately be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. And one of the reasons we know that is because chapter 36 especially, but even chapter 37, describes really a state of perfection, the coming kingdom, the future millennial kingdom. So I I, I want to be clear, this is a promise for Israel, not the church. But in light of the New Testament, uh, in in light of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and the, 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 the miracle of redemption through embracing by faith the good news of Christ's death and resurrection, what we have here is an Old Testament illustration of the power of the gospel. An Old Testament illustration of the power of God's grace to redeem, to save, to transform. And we have an Old Testament pointer to this incredible future our sovereign God has for the people of God. That it's given to Israel. When Israel is at its nadir, its worst possible moment, is illustrative of God's mercy and compassion. Now the reason... I go to this passage on a a Sunday that's a missions conference Sunday when we're talking about Europe is because as I read this, I am struck by the fact that what God promises to do for Israel in the future, both nationally and spiritually, God can do for Europe spiritually today. As a matter of fact, it's no different than what God did in the Reformation. No different than what God did in the the Great Awakening. And one way to look at what these movements of the Spirit of God have been is to see them as as pointers, as as prefiguring, as inbreakings of the Spirit of God pointing to the coming kingdom of God here prophesied and promised in Ezekiel. And we as God's people, as God's people, must never ever give up hope. Even when the situation appears to be as daunting as Europe, Our sovereign God, because he is a God of grace and mercy, who has given us his son, delights in making dry bones live. It's the gospel. God can save Europe. But it will not be because of our ingenuity, our methodology, our smarts, or anything that we bring to the table. Our commitment to Europe today... Dry bones must be rooted in our faith commitment 
to God's ability to save and redeem and to do the miraculous. And so we must enter into this discussion with a strong biblical, a strong gospel orientation because that's our hope. Frankly, I don't think there is any hope for Europe apart from that. And I want you to know, now I'll move in to the opportunity. We are seeing some really encouraging signs recently in, in Europe. Let me start relative to immigrants. And let me begin with a story. Mike is a friend of mine. He went on a short-term mission trip last summer with a group of people from our church to Athens uh, to minister to these refugees. And so Mike spent the better part of a week in one of the parks where these refugees hang out. And uh, Mike was praying one day and praying for an opportunity to, to share Christ with one of these refugees. So he was praying as he was looking at a particular group of, of young men um, who were uh, refugees and praying, God, as I go up and uh, try to engage these guys in a conversation, I I pray that at least one would be an English speaker. It's a good idea to find somebody that can speak your language. So sure enough, Mike went up to this group of young guys, 20-somethings, and there was a guy that actually spoke English very well. And uh, let's say his name was Muhammad. Uh, Muhammad began to unpack this incredible story. He from, was from Afghanistan. Uh, but he fled because of the Taliban. And, and as a result, he had become not only disenchanted with radical Islam, but he had become disenchanted with Islam, period. And he'd been thinking about Christianity. And then the sovereignty of God, God sent Mike from Wheaton, Illinois to hook up with Muhammad in the park that day. And they had this long conversation, and Muhammad had one question after another. Went on and on and on. At the end of the conversation, Mike said, Muhammad, would you like to become a follower of Jesus Christ? And Muhammad said, you know, not right now, Mike, because I I haven't thought through how this is going to work with my friends, these guys right here. But I'd like to talk some more. So they agreed to get together the next day in the park. And the next day came, Mike was there, but no Muhammad. The day after that, Mike was there, no Muhammad. This went on for a couple days. It came to Mike's last day in Athens. He went to the park, and there he saw Muhammad coming from a a distance. And Mike had learned um, from some other people that Muhammad wasn't there because Muhammad was in the hospital. Uh, so they came, uh, they, they came together and Mike said, Muhammad, are you okay? I hear you've been in the hospital. And Muhammad smiled and said, oh, you don't understand, Mike. Mike, I, and Muhammad's like 28 years old. He said, uh, Mike, I was a physician in Afghanistan. I speak five languages. And I was in the hospital translating for some people that needed my help. Now, Muhammad, since he had come to Athens, was living on a bench. Physician in Afghanistan. And he was grinning ear to ear. And Muhammad went on to say, Mike, and over the last couple of days, I have decided to become a Christ follower. I have given my life to Jesus Christ. And he had. In the, eight, in the last eight months... Greater Europe Mission is experiencing something in Athens. We have 
hardly ever seen anywhere in Europe in the 80 years of our existence. Refugees who are coming to Christ are leading other refugees, Persians, North Africans, to Christ. And discipleship and evangelism is now down or out to the 10th generation. We're looking for fruit in the 11th and the 12th. I have seen videos of North Africans, Muslims who have just come to Christ being baptized in the Aegean Sea the day after they've come to Christ to the applause of white native Europeans who are on the beach, the Aegean Sea, sunbathing. It's just really amazing. Dry bones are coming to life. Now think of the strategic opportunities with these Muslims as they go to other countries in Europe or they stay in Athens or maybe they return to their home countries. While we were in Athens, we had the opportunity to go to a feeding program and help uh, feed some of these refugees. And while we were in the feeding program, it was, it was fascinating. There was an evangelical seminary professor from Egypt who was preaching. And he, as he was preaching, it was being translated into two different languages by two different interpreters, Farsi and Greek. And this Egyptian was preaching in English. There at the, in this feeding program, just one of many feeding programs in Athens, we met converts from Iran, Syria, <clears throat> North Africa. And so I want you to hear from me today. Right now, dry bones are coming to life in ways that will never make the news in Athens alone. And there's more. Some of the biggest, some of the fastest growing churches throughout Europe are immigrant churches. The largest church in Europe, a church of 30,000 in Kiev, was founded by a Nigerian. And in London and Paris, there are uh, uh, several large Nigerian churches full of Nigerians and Africans with several thousand in attendance every weekend. Hillsong Ministry out of Australia has planted multi-ethnic churches in some of the larger cities of the continent. They're seeing incredible conversions. There are churches being led now in different cities in Europe by Brazilian charismatics. Uh, by pastors who are from the Democratic Republic of Congo, other countries around the world. As the, the nations are resettling in these larger cities in Europe. And it's a beautiful, it's a breathtaking thing. And I want you to also know. We're seeing some encouraging trends among native white Europeans as well. We're seeing increasingly signs of life, dry bones coming to life. So, for example, the number of churches in France over the last 10 to 13 years has increased by 20%. The number of evangelicals in France has increased in that same period dramatically. Then there's Alpha. Are you familiar with the evangelistic course Alpha? It, it, used all over the world. 
We have seen tremendous fruit in our church through the Alpha Evangelistic Course. It was fathered by a man by the name of Nicky Gumble, born in Holy Trinity Church in England. That church has become a mega church. 3,000 people now attending their Sunday services. They've started seven other churches. Two million people in England alone have attended the Alpha Course. A year or two ago, I had a conversation with Nikki Gumbel, and Nikki told me Alpha is now in every country in the world. It started in Europe, England. Now, let me land this. There are three major forces vying for the heart and the soul and the mind of Europe. There's secularism, there's Islam, and there's evangelicalism. There's Bible-believing Christianity, gospel-centered Christianity. Can dry bones live? Yes. All things are possible with God. But please hear me. Only God can save Europe. So as the people of God, I want to encourage you with three things. I I want to ask you to pray for Europe. Pray that the land of the reformers would be reformed. Pray that people would come to Christ. Churches would be established. Pray down thunder. Pray aggressively for Europe. One of the dreams of Jem is that we would raise up churches around the country, our country, to partner with Jem, who would raise up people from their church to go to a particular city, one of the mega cities in Europe, in order to reach Native Europeans and North African immigrants, who would raise up people who would become Jem missionaries. That's what we've been doing. There's four or five other churches around the country that are doing that. We want more. Pray that God would raise up more churches. Second, prioritize Europe. Europe is a key continent. Uh, I haven't even talked about it, but but as you know, it's an economic, political, intellectual uh, uh, powerhouse. It's a bellwether continent with an influence way out of proportion to its landmass, way out of proportion. And now, with the number of immigrants streaming into Europe, it's become a geopolitical hot potato. And my hope is that the church of Jesus Christ would be part of the solution. Let's prioritize Europe. Third and finally, and I know this is an important concept for you here at Christ Church Oak Brook, engage with Europe. I believe the future of evangelicalism in terms of individuals, in terms of churches, belongs to those who are willing to do hard things, radical things, big things because of their commitment to Jesus Christ. And we're willing to say, I'm done with being consumed by comfortable things. May God give us the grace to believe, to believe that in Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us, Dry bones can live, even the dry bones of Europe. Thank you.